Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Greetings, everyone, and welcome to Back to Ashes. My name is Phoenix. A special thank you to the reform members of this channel. Denise S., Seven Leaf Clover, Through Scrutiny, Samantha Place, Stephanie McLaren, Corpse Lover, Mana Ash, Normie D.W., Christy Elias, Cindy Cleveland, and Patty's Niece. If you would like to know how to become a member of the channel or would like to check out my GoFundMe, all that information can be found down below. If you are new to the channel or haven't done so already, please don't forget to subscribe like, share, and comment. Not only does it help this channel grow and push it into the algorithm, it will also remind you of every time I upload a video. Now, with all of that being said, it is time to go back to ashes, for once we arise from the ashes, we are a bigger, brighter, stronger, and a happier person in the morning. Sit back, relax, kick back, grab your snacks, or tuck in and get warm, and prepare for this dose of vocal melatonin entitled True Creepy Encounters. Right after this intro and ad will play, I'll read the first story and ad will play, and after that, there will be no more ads within this video. This happened last year, during the summer, and isn't as creepy as most stories, but it still bothers me. My husband and I had just bought a house across from where I grew up. This neighborhood is mostly retirees and young parents, so a super safe and calm neighborhood. My neighbors live on the top level of a split-level duplex directly behind me, and from their balcony, they can see directly into my backyard and garden. Because it was summer, and that is my season, I was constantly in the backyard doing yard work, gardening, soaking up the sun in the hammock, playing with the puppies, etc. My husband noticed any time I went out back, the neighbor's now ex-husband would come on the porch with his son. I noticed they come out and stay out longer if I was wearing shorts or a tank top. Again, it's summer, and I live in the desert, so they were most constantly on the balcony, just standing and staring into my yard. It was really unusual, as they were normally inside all day, and would only come out when I did. It got to the point that I went over one day when they were gone and talked to the wife, great lady, lover, and told her I was sick of not being able to enjoy my backyard because her husband and son were watching me. I eventually quit going out back, even at night, and they stopped. Come to find out, he had been peeping on other women in the neighborhood as well. And the wife? Well, she kicked him to the curb. You go, girl. I'm on holiday with my boyfriend and our dog in the Lake District. We had been for a meal and was on the way back to the Airbnb. 
I had had a parcel strategically delivered to a supermarket, so I went in first, then my boyfriend went in to buy beer and some groceries, whilst I waited outside with the dog. It was dark, and as it's off-season, there weren't many people around. About five minutes into waiting on the pavement, an early 40s man wearing a red, shell-suit-type ensemble walked past. I accidentally caught eye contact, so I smiled weakly, and he leered creepily back as he passed. I watched him walk away, and as he got to the end of the stop, he bellowed, Victims! Victims! Everyone's a victim! About 10 to 20 seconds after that, he started singing, Take me down to the paradise city where the grass is green and the girls are pretty. He went round the corner, and I thought I was safe. My boyfriend was taking too long at this point, so I tried to get his attention through the glass door. I then see the same guy coming back up the road, heading straight towards me. I really didn't want to have another run-in with this guy, so I went into the supermarket, completely ignoring the no-dogs-allowed rule, and made an animated display so that both he and the cashier knew I was there. When my boyfriend came out, I explained what had happened and pointed out the guy, who was staggering uphill the direction we needed to go. I suggested we hang back and keep our distance. He turned off down a side road, and that was the last we saw of him. For the entire walk back, I was turning around to make sure we weren't being followed. Even now, as we're set watching Die Hard, I'm really creeped out. I know I was probably in no danger, but it's a really weird thing to shout at a lone woman with a dog sitting in her car alone. This is a creepy encounter that started a couple months ago and stretches on to now. I live in a condo building that shares a courtyard with a sister building. One evening, just before sunset, I was sitting on a beach in the courtyard. This has a view into my low-level apartment. Listening to music and playing Sudoku on my phone, a man walking his dog approached me. He appeared to be in his late 50s or early 60s. I am a woman in my mid-twenties, but did not find it that odd because his dog seemed interested in me. Without taking out my earbuds, I pet his dog. But then, after a quick pet, the man was still hovering. I took out my earbuds, giving him a look of, what's up? He nodded at my open purse that was beside me, which had a pack of cigarettes in it. Side note, I rarely smoke. They were in my purse left over from the bachelorette party. He asked for a cigarette, and I gave him one. He took that as an invitation to sit down next to me to smoke it. He started up small talk, asking if I lived here, how long I've lived there, etc. After he finished the cigarette, I expected him to leave, but he stayed. I did not have any interest in spending my evening chatting with this guy but I did not feel unsafe. Other people were walking their dogs and we were in view of many condo windows. I figured he was a lonely older man and it would be an easy kind deed to sit and chat with him on my Tuesday night. 
It got a little weird when he asked me if I'd like to come up to his apartment to try some fancy wine. He told me about how he's very into wine. And a cigarette on his balcony. I told him I couldn't that night. He then asked me to text him as a way to exchange numbers. Because he didn't have his phone. And that we could do it another time. I obliged to avoid the awkwardness of saying no. By now, it had been over an hour. It had gotten dark, and no one else was in the courtyard. He said it was nice talking. He looked forward to show me the fancy wines. Said he'd let me enjoy the rest of my night, and he left. Shortly after, he texted me asking to plan for that Thursday night. I still assumed he was innocent and he was just lonely. Because the age difference... None of the conversations was flirty, and frankly, I am a lot better looking than him, age aside. That said, I didn't want to, so I strategically told him maybe due to tentative plans. This avoided the suggestion of an alternative date and gave me the easy opportunity to cancel. I shrugged it off as an interesting encounter and texted my friends about it. They all immediately told me it was very creepy and to cancel and not text him again. While I did not intend to go over there or text him again, I thought they were overreacting. Then I thought more about our innocent conversation and all the personal information he got out of me. He now knows which of the two buildings I live in. I didn't tell him which unit but he could figure it out based on what he does know. The floor I live on, my unit faces the courtyard, my unit does not have a balcony, it's a rental, not an own unit, the month I moved in, and my cat likes to watch the courtyard from the window. He also now knows I live alone, my age, and where I work, my past few employers, the suburb I grew up in, where I went to school, both high school and college, where my parents live, and my phone number. I didn't think I was stupid, but now I'm surprised I didn't give this guy my social security number. That said, he got his info out of me because he also shared all of his details about himself. That, along with him living in the sister building, not mine, made me feel better. But then I remembered the sister siblings' fobs worked to access each other. I also then remembered he told me multiple times he does not carry his phone or wallet on him while he walks his dog at night because of all the muggings. While he kept bringing this up, I found it very odd because we live in one of the safest neighborhoods of my city, and I just shrugged it off. I now am scared he may have bad intentions and wanted to persuade me into putting myself into a vulnerable position without my phone. I tried reverse searching his number and nothing came up. I was smart enough to read his last name from his dog's collar and I googled it with the first name he gave me. But even with all the other info he gave me like his job and education, I couldn't find him online. This left me a little unnerved, but his response to me canceling was just to text him another time when I am available. I felt better about it until the next Tuesday evening, exactly one week down to the hour of us originally meeting. 
I looked out my window and saw him sitting on the exact bench we were on, one of like twenty, staring up at my building. He wasn't even with his dog or smoking. He was just sitting there looking up at my building. I immediately dropped to the floor and peeped only my head to take another look out the window, which starts a couple feet above the floor but stretches the whole wall horizontally. It was definitely him, and it made me feel sick to my stomach. I still excused it as maybe innocent. Maybe he hoped to run into me again and was just waiting and not spying. But in the weeks following, I saw him on that bench multiple more times. I've been avoiding the courtyard and keeping my blinds closed, but they can't be closed 24-7. Apart from me, both my cat and plants need the natural light. A couple weeks ago, my blinds were open, and I had to pass the window naked to retrieve a towel. As I passed, I looked out the window. Not only was he on that bench without his dog or a cigarette looking up at my building, he was looking straight at my unit in my window at me. I again dropped to the floor. I grabbed the blanket next to me, wrapped myself up in it, and stood back up. He was still staring. We held eye contact, and he did not look away. Eventually, I closed the blinds, but he knew I knew, and he was not shy about it. A few days after that, I saw him in my building lobby. I ignored him, and he ignored me, and I quickly got into the elevator. I then left for a two-week vacation. I got back a few days ago and haven't seen him. I'm hoping the time gap bored him and I never see him again. In the early 2000s, I was skateboarding outside my old elementary school with a close friend. We were 12 or 13 at the time. Skateboarding can be a draw for police and we were well aware of that. Being harassed by and running from cops was nearly a weekly occurrence for us around that time. After we had been there maybe 20 minutes, a newish unmarked Ford Ranger or maybe Mazda equivalent drove by, slowed down, and turned into the parking lot after noticing us. He got out and asserted he was a police officer and that we could get in a lot of trouble for being there. He was wearing plain clothes, white, and I probably think he's in his 30s or 40s. He approached me, patted me down, obviously noticed something in my cargo pocket. It was a weed pipe. I was scared that I was going to get busted, and I froze. He ignored the item in my pocket, along with whatever else was in there. I don't even remember if the touches were sexual in nature or focused on that one area of my body. I was sexually active at the time and was as aware as I could have been about sexual touching. He didn't bother searching my friend. He didn't ask any questions that I remember other than whether or not our parents knew we were there. I don't remember what we answered. Knowing us and our parents, they probably did have at least a vague idea of what we were up to. It is likely we said yes, but I seem to remember telling him no. 
He began to conclude the interaction and said something like, Be safe, or you should probably go home now. Anyway, he got back in his truck. I remember seeing the cab after he opened the door and it looking like a mess inside. There was trash and signs that he was not driving an official vehicle of any capacity. I do remember thinking that was odd at the time. He left. We went on our merry way after I landed that kickflip down the three-stair or whatever trick I was working on that day. The situation felt a little odd, but I didn't tell my parents. I was a teenager with more angst than most, after all. Plus, bringing it up would have surely invoked some lecture or accusation regarding the drug use, and I was not about to bring that upon myself. Years later, my friend brought it up. He said he had mentioned it to his dad recently. His dad was a police officer at the time of the incident. His dad got upset and was dumbfounded by the fact that neither of us told anyone about it. Now that I'm knocking some of this loose, I think my buddy actually told the guy his dad was a cop, and this is when he became disengaging. That was the day I realized that if I had been alone, things could have gone much, much worse. It was over 20 years ago, but I still wonder if I should report it in case it could lead to some sort of resolution for someone who was not as fortunate as we were. I'm writing this because, for one, it's a scary story I still get chills looking back on. And for two of our dogs, honestly saving our lives that night and deserve some recognition. So, this whole thing happened when I was about 12. I am nearly 17 now. Me and my sister, who was 14 or 15 at the time, were staying home alone while our parents were at my little brother's hockey game. We lived in a fairly safe neighborhood. Hardly anything ever happened. Everybody knew everybody and almost everyone got along well and liked each other, so we felt safe as we didn't have a reason not to. Our front door was locked, our back door was locked, but our side door didn't lock. It was broken, but no one ever used it anyway, so my dad hadn't gotten around to fixing it. Me and my sister were sitting in the living room watching TV and doing homework when we heard the fence outside of our house make some noise. It sounded like someone had jumped over the fence. So my sister looked through the blinds, and sure enough, someone had jumped the fence. Two people, actually. They were dressed in mostly black, with like a hospital mask over their faces. We freaked out and hid in between the couches in the living room. When we heard the front door knob wiggle, of course it was locked, so it didn't open, but we knew whoever it was would go to the side door next, and that one would open. In that moment, I was the most terrified I had ever been. But once the door handle started jiggling loud enough, my dogs had woken up. At the time, I had a Tosa and a Rottweiler. Once one started barking, so did the other one, and eventually it was just pure chaos. That's when we heard them scream. Shit, they got dogs. Then we heard the fence make the same noise, 
as if someone jumped over it again. Later that night, a local gas station near my house got robbed by two armed men, and the news reports showed the same people we had seen, same outfits and everything, except this time we got to see their faces. Our dogs truly may have saved our lives that night. The funny thing is, our dogs are the biggest lovers and they may be loud and bark, but they wouldn't bite or attack anybody. This is the one time I'm very glad that these dog breeds are associated with being, quote, scary and aggressive, because clearly they scared off whoever wanted to break in that night. This happened around 2018, right after my sister moved out of our apartment together. It's been bothering me since I just moved out. I was home alone on my day off when someone knocked on my door. No one ever visits, and I have anxiety, so that was terrifying to my brain already. I answered, and it was a woman who lived in one of the basement apartments. She seemed nice at first asking if I wanted any clothes she was giving away because they weren't her style but supposedly matched mine perfectly as a young woman. That was already a red flag in my mind because the only time I ever saw her was when I was walking to work wearing my uniform of a black shirt, black pants, and black hat. But I let her talk because I'm super awkward and hated being rude to technical strangers. Then she started getting pushy and listing off super expensive name brands to try to get me to go to her apartment. Old small building, no cameras, and I lived on the second and top floor. Which would be down what I call the creepy stairs and next to the door to the back lot no one ever used. Then I realized she was holding a notebook opened with a script of what to say. I continued to reject, but my anxiety wouldn't let me close the door in her face without fear of her lashing out. She kept insisting until I finally told her my boyfriend was going to be home soon and suggested she donated them. My boyfriend wasn't going to be home for many, many hours, but she didn't need to know that, obviously. She leaves and I go back to my room, which has a window facing the back lot or alley. A few moments later, I hear a fight happening in the lot and see her with the previous, he was already fired at that point, maintenance man. It's a loud, screaming fight, and they're standing next to his truck, which has tenant windows and a covered truck bed. My paranoia went a little wild, so I texted my family about it to feel a little bit safer. Then I believe he left. But a little while later, Something hits my door really hard. I didn't check, just stared. Then it happened again and again. All night until my boyfriend came home, and for a few days when I was alone. I found out after looking at the door that they were hitting the deadbolt, and it was off center. Even after it had been replaced, the damage could not be fixed. It stopped after a little while, and the woman moved out almost immediately after all of that. I don't want to feed my paranoia, but something obviously wasn't right. 
I know I should have called the police, but I have horrific phone anxiety. Everyone thought I was overreacting, and police in my town are relatively useless. Also, that maintenance man was rehired and was the one who replaced my deadbolt, insisting he kept the extra key despite never needing the old. My new house is much safer, thankfully. My girlfriend and I were graduate students living together in a six-unit apartment building with an outside stairwell. It was an older Victorian home that had been converted into apartments. The whole street was lined with similar buildings. It was off campus, but conveniently located within walking distance of bars, a coffee shop, and several other restaurants. The neighborhood had a laid-back bohemian vibe. The tenants were a mixture of college kids, young professionals, and families. The area was generally safe, and it wasn't too far from a rougher section of town. It was a Thursday night, and being the night owl that I am, it was past 3 a.m., and I had just finished a movie. I turned the TV off and went to the stairwell for a quick smoke before bed. We were in the middle of a snowstorm. The ground was covered in six inches of fresh powder, and it was freezing, and I do mean scary cold. I quickly smoked my cigarette and rushed back inside. My girlfriend was always complaining about me forgetting to lock the door, and, as was my habit, I left the door unlocked. I jumped into bed, and just as I was falling asleep, I thought I had heard a noise. I brushed it off at first, and then I heard a creak. Probably just the wind, I concluded. Moments later, I heard the floorboards creaking. Now I was listening intently. My girlfriend felt me shuffling and asked what was going on. I told her I thought I heard something. Then we both heard what sounded like someone stumbling into our couch. We shot up and I yelled, Is someone there? No answer. The floor creaked again. This time, in unison, we shouted, Who's there? Another noise. I quietly stood up and scanned the room for something that could be used as a weapon. Nothing. Growing up, my dad always kept a baseball bat under his bed, and I regretted not adopting this practice. We yelled again, but there was no response. Again, but this time from the darkness. We were greeted by a low-pitched, incomprehensible growl. I wondered if one of my buddies was playing a prank on me. That seemed out of character for my friends, especially at this hour, on a weekday night and during a snowstorm. What I really thought was that a crackhead had wandered in. My girlfriend yelled, Who's out there? More footsteps. The intruder was still in the family room but he was getting closer to our bedroom. We heard the growl again, but this time it was followed by a gurgle and it's... <clears throat> it's Matt. We didn't know any Matts, at least not any that would enter our apartment uninvited in the middle of the night. I looked at my girlfriend. I'd never seen someone so scared. If worse came to worse, I thought to myself, 
I know I can't outrun this bitch. I hoped it didn't come to that. Matt who? We shouted repeatedly. After a long pause, he finally said, Matt, ugh, I'm friends with Mike and Kelly. Relief washed over both of us. Mike and Kelly were our neighbors. I turned on the lights and walked into the family room. There he stood, a 6'2", sovereignly-looking college kid. Matt was blacked out drunk. Our neighbors had hosted a pregame party at their apartment, followed by a trip to the nearby bars. They had abandoned Matt, and despite the storm, he had found his way back into their apartment. Their door was locked, and his phone calls had gone unanswered. His evolutionary drive to survive had kicked in, and he had sought warmth in the first unlocked apartment he could find. I told him that he scared the shit out of us and that he had to go. He stepped outside and I quickly locked the door behind him. The next day, I learned that Matt froze to death. He'd been discovered by another neighbor, huddled up next to her car under the lean-to garage. I'm just kidding. I have no idea what happened to Matt. I do, however, remember being a little concerned for him after my nerves settled. Please excuse my English. It's not my first language. So, me and my husband recently relocated to a small town for work. The area is known to have high criminal activity and a lot of homeless people, but I'm not usually scared or paranoid. I decided to go thrifting, hoping to find a baby safety gate. Once I got to the store and parked, there was no one in the parking lot. I went in. Right behind me entered a large, well-dressed male that was persistently eyeing me head to heels. At first, I didn't think much of it, and I just went on checking the book section they had. After a while, I started to feel as if someone is hovering around me. I started to feel a bit anxious, because every time I would look behind me, the guy would be standing way too close to me, literally not looking at any books, just pacing around and would look to the ground to avoid my stance. I'm not a shy girl. I know how to stand up for myself when need be, and I know better than to make a predator feel like he is intimidating me. I turned around and gave him the F-off look and went to the other side of the store to shop, and right behind me followed this creepy guy. I tried not to mind him and continued looking through clothes, vases and decorations, and wherever I would go, he would follow in a very creepy way, keeping himself as close as he could be to me. Forty minutes in, the employees noticed that the guy wasn't interested in anything, and they asked him if he was okay and if he needed anything specific. He said no and brushed them off with a story. He was persistently following me, and he tried to corner me in an unseen part of the store. I look him in the eye with a don't mess with me look, till he broke eye contact, and I turned away and paced as fast as I could. Of course, he was right behind me pacing as fast as I was. 
I messaged my husband, my location, and sent him the directions of the guy and told him what was happening. He told me to get out of there safely as fast as I could and call the police if needed. I then asked the employees if they had any gates around. He answered me from behind before they even had a chance to open their mouths. Then the employee took me to show me what they had available. Of course, he followed us. I then went to pay for my stuff and asked the guy working there to walk me to my car because I was just not feeling safe. And I was sure that the creepy guy would try to hurt me or try to steal from me. My first thought was he saw me park outside and ran after me hoping to jump me and probably steal from me. I drive a fancy 2023 model truck. My husband believes that he just wanted to hit on me but didn't know how. I've lived on three different continents and had my share of deprived creeps and psychopaths and I'm not sure what to think of this. Not sure if I overreacted. My husband thinks I did, but I still can't understand what his intentions were. I'm hoping to get closure on this soon. Please bear with me, as this story is quite lengthy, but I hope you find it worth the listening to. I'd also like to emphasize that I've purposefully left out identifying details to protect the privacy and respect the memory of the victims involved. If you happen to know the real-life events behind this story, I ask for your discretion and understanding, as the purpose of sharing this is for my own catharsis and reflection. Thank you for your consideration and respect for the victims. In the heart of that southern university town where the campus and local community intertwined, I embarked on a fateful night that would haunt my memories for years to come. I was just 20, a junior in college, eager to savor the newfound thrill of going out to bars with friends who, like me, possessed fake IDs. The atmosphere was charged with youthful energy, and I reveled in the attention from guys who were more than willing to buy me drinks. It was my first taste of such attention, and I played it up, basking in the newfound allure of adulthood. As I headed to the bar to procure another round of drinks for my friends, I encountered Jay, a man who would cast a sinister shadow over the night. He was a townie. One of those locals we often referred to with a mix of condescension and pity. In this college-centric universe, many townies were drawn to the bars, their troubled lives intersecting with the students' carefree world. Jay didn't seem particularly ominous at first. He struck up a conversation with me, bought me a drink, and we engaged in a seemingly pleasant exchange. But as the night wore on, he grew increasingly agitated when I declined to give him my number. His mood shifted, and he began making a scene, prompting my friends to intervene and extricate me from his presence. Yet, even as we distanced ourselves from him, I couldn't shake the eerie feeling that his predatory gaze never wavered. It wasn't the gaze of someone interested in romance. It was a chilling, haunting stare. 
Desperate to escape his unsettling presence, I decided to join the guy I was seeing at the time, who was at a bar just across from ours. These bars were mere feet apart in a pedestrian mall, so I thought nothing of going there alone. My car was parked conveniently nearby, and I took refuge inside to charge my phone for a few minutes before heading to meet my friends. But as I sat there, I heard the car door open. It was Jay. This stranger had followed me from the first bar and now sat in my car, as if we were old friends, oblivious to the terror he has instilled in me. I was paralyzed with fear, unsure of how to react. He seemed alarmingly normal, completely unaware of the distress he was causing. It was a situation that grew scarier by the second, as I realized the gravity of the peril I was in. Thankfully, within what felt like an eternity, but was probably just a couple of minutes, the guy I was seeing flung open the car door and asked if I was okay. Relief washed over me as I explained what had just transpired through tears, my voice trembling with fear. He had arrived at just the right moment, a guardian angel in the darkness. His presence sent Jay packing, like a child who had just been caught misbehaving. If it weren't for his intervention, who knows where I would be now and what sinister plans Jay might have had in mind. The nightmarish episode faded from my immediate consciousness, buried beneath the demands of daily life. But a year later, it resurfaced in the most chilling manner possible. A fellow junior, H, went missing, sending shockwaves through the campus and making national headlines. Search teams scoured the area and the nation held its breath as they discovered security footage of her leaving a bar, followed by a man. Jay. The search ultimately ended in tragedy, as H's lifeless body was found. The police investigation led to the capture of her killer, and it sent shockwaves through the university community. Jay had not only taken H's life, but had also been responsible for the deaths of two other girls, making him a serial killer. Witness reports, news articles, for those who last saw H say she was telling Jay, I will not get in the car with you. Jay is currently serving four separate life sentences. I had never shared this haunting experience with anyone beyond my closest friends and husband fearing judgment and repercussions from my conservative upbringing. But now, returning to that town, the memories resurfaced with a vengeance. Some scars truly, truly never fade. And the night when I nearly escaped the clutches of a killer named Jay remains etched in my memory as a chilling reminder of the presence that can lurk in even the most seemingly ordinary places. Oh, P.S. I haven't read any more updates on him since graduating. Until today. I am now 30. In those eight years, Jay has two or three more sexual assaults and murders to his name. I can't believe this freak was in my car. I am so grateful to all of my angels.
I'm a 16-year-old girl living in rural Virginia. The neighborhood I live in is in the woods and very safe, just to provide some context. A few months back, I was walking home from the bus stop. It's about a half-mile walk from my bus stop to my house, but I don't mind walking it at all. I live in the forest, and the trees were beautiful that day with beautiful weather. Field hockey practice was also canceled that day so it made the walk home even better. Well, with us living out in the forest a ways away from anything urban, or suburban for that matter, our little community is constantly expanding and, in turn, seeing new houses being built. Well, I live on a dead-end road with my house at the bottom of a hill, so our house is pretty shielded by the slope and surrounding trees. Just a few days before this creepy encounter, a construction company had begun to clear a lot on the other side of the road, further down from where we were. At this time, they only had orange tape bordering the lot, so no extensive clearing had been started yet. But, as I walked home and started to walk down the road leading up to my house, I saw a tan truck pull up on the side of the road. Even months later, I can vividly recall that it had extremely tinted windows. You couldn't even see into the vehicle, let alone see its driver. At first, I don't think much of it, and once I got within 20-ish feet of it, the truck turned on its headlights and began to back up as I got closer. I am naturally a jumpy, paranoid person, so I immediately walked off the road and onto a lawn trying to put distance between the truck and myself. At first, I thought it was merely a coincidence that the truck just happened to back up as I got closer. But the moment I began to walk past it, the driver started to back up at an angle, positioning the rear end of the van right in my path, putting the van at an edge that effectively blocked the entire road. Now, I began to panic a little. I quickened my pace and walked into my neighbor's yard, walking from that yard to the next. Once I had sidestepped a truck, it had stopped altogether, just sitting there in the middle of the road with its headlights on. At that moment, I knew that if the truck was indeed following me per se, I couldn't show the driver which house was mine. Still staring at the tan truck, I walked up from yard to yard, passing over driveways but never going onto the road. I walked past my house once, but made sure that I didn't look at it or give any indication that it was my house. After what seemed like minutes, the truck began to drive away, but very, very slowly. Once it drove up the street, nearly a few hundred feet, it stopped again, to, I assume, See if I'd go into a house. I didn't. I stood there beside a trash can and stared at it. After another minute or two, the truck finally drove off. I realized, looking back, that it could have just been someone looking at the lot undergoing construction. But it still doesn't shake the uneasy feeling. I can't forget how utterly tinted those windows were. They were so tinted that I couldn't even see the silhouettes of the driver. 
and how it literally followed me. I regret not getting the license plate, especially since I had a huge opportunity to, but at that moment, the thought didn't even cross my mind. All I cared about was getting away from that truck and protecting my house. I also learned that safety is, indeed, in numbers. At the time of this encounter, I was taking the less traveled route because there were less kids. The scenery was beautiful, it was quiet, and less cars traveled that route. Now, when I walk home, I walk with the rest of the kids and always keep an eye out for that truck. To the person in that tan truck, I hope we don't run into each other again. This happened when I was 15, and my younger sister was 13, over three years ago. So I'm trying to remember exactly how it all went down. I always loved going trick-or-treating, because free candy. But I always hated being scared, because I'm a total chicken. I don't mind someone jumping out from behind a car as I pass by and yelling boo. I can laugh about that afterwards. But... I can't handle anything further than that. Many parents will tell their kids that they can't go trick-or-treating anymore after a certain age, but my parents weren't like that. They didn't care if we went and got ourselves some free candy as teens. They just stopped going with us. On this particular night, my sister and I were going down a street in our neighborhood that we'd never been down before, and all seemed well. Time was running out. Our feet ached from all the walking, and our plastic grocery bags were getting heavy. A number of houses were turning their lights out at that point, but there were still several left, and still a fair amount of people walking the street. As we neared the next house, a dude wearing a pretty creepy costume jumped out from behind a car and scared us, then ran off to scare others the same way. I didn't totally appreciate the scare, but knew he was just having his fun. So we went on, and I didn't think much of it after that. A few houses later, the guy who answered the door tells us that they've got no candy, and then he sicks the car guy on us. I wasn't even aware that the dude was anywhere nearby. Car guy chases us away from the house and then continues to follow us beginning to ask questions. Keep in mind, this dude looks to be around 20 years old, and I'm just 15, along with my 13-year-old sister. He asks for our names, and we don't respond. He then asks if he can join us, to which we tell him no, and to go away. I remember exactly how it all went down, but he just wouldn't leave us alone, and his questions were starting to creep me out more and more. I kept telling myself that the guy was just trying to creep us out because it's Halloween, and a lot of people find that fun, but I wasn't having fun at all, and I started feeling kinda unsafe. So I grabbed my sister's hand and we booked it to the next house that still had its lights on. Fortunately, the guy stopped following us after that. At that point, I was feeling pretty done with the whole experience. My feet ached. We had a good haul, lights were going out, 
there were starting to be less and less people on the street, and I was kind of shaken up. I texted my dad to pick us up at the stop sign where he dropped us off earlier, and we started making our way there. About halfway to the stop sign, a small group of guys who might have been around 16 to 18 years of age approached, complimented our costumes, and asked if we wanted a ride. I quickly turned them down, already on edge from the other car guy, and our dad was picking us up, which I told them. They asked if we were sure and all that, which I'd barely begun to respond to when I saw our dad's car, and I quickly said, yeah, no thanks, here comes our ride. Perhaps I was just really paranoid, and the car guy was just messing with us, and those guys were just genuinely wanting to help us. But I don't think a little paranoia is a bad thing, and I'm not ashamed of the fact that I'm suspicious of strangers. One thing's for sure, though. I realize the downside of being a teen on Halloween night. People don't mind scaring the piss out of you, and your parents won't be there to keep you safe if you do encounter someone with ill intent. That was the day when I decided that I was done with trick-or-treating. This happened around two years ago. I was around 15 or 16 years old. My family was on the way to Mexico. The main point of going was for my grandfather to meet my little brother, who was about seven at the time. Some background. For those who don't know the roads in Mexico, once you cross the border at Laredo, Texas, you either take the freeway or the toll road. The freeway is a fast pass to getting thrown off the road and off a mountain, quite literally. The road isn't wide. Big trucks hardly fit in their own lane, as if they respect the yellow line in the middle. Toll roads are supposed to be the safer alternative. You pay a certain fee, depending on your vehicle at different spots. And there's supposed to be federal policemen along the highway. Anyways... About four hours before we got to my dad's hometown, we approached a bridge with a lot of traffic, which was odd since the rest of the road hadn't been so clustered. Being from the U.S., we find it odd that some vehicles were driving over the white line on the right side of each lane, in the shoulder. My dad, the driver, assumed it was to give access to passing. Keep in mind... We had never driven to Mexico alone, and it had been over eight years since we were last there. So, there was an 18-wheeler, or should I say 26-wheeler, in front of us. It was like those FedEx trucks that pulled two short trailers at once, but this one was pulling three normal-sized ones. It was moving so slow being the cause of traffic in the right lane. Since he was driving on the shoulder, my dad decided to pass him, still able to do it without crossing the yellow line into other oncoming traffic. We noticed that the other cars weren't doing the same and didn't think much of it. After a while, I looked back out the back window trying to take a picture of the sunset. When I did this, 
I saw the same truck coming at us in full speed. I froze in fear as I saw that gigantic thing coming at our truck. My brothers noticed that I was staring out the window and looked back. My younger brother, 13 at the time, yelled to my dad that he needed to move. As if things couldn't get worse, there was a traffic jam in the oncoming lane, so there was no way of passing the vehicle in front of us. My mom began to panic. Her then undiagnosed anxiety was getting to her, and she was constantly turning in her seat, yelling to my dad that the truck didn't seem to be slowing down. My dad managed to calm her, and we refused to look back to build onto the anxiety. About three minutes later, my seven-year-old brother looked back and said the truck was tailgating us. The truck was flashing his brightest at us, the driver's arm out the window, shooting us the middle finger and motioning us to pull over. As if a miracle, traffic was clearing out in exit and my dad managed to leave the truck behind. Around 30 to 40 minutes later, the same truck came flying past us, passing us as we were going uphill. He blared his horn and pulled into the correct lane again as a tiny white car came over the steep hill. To this day, I get chills thinking about what could have happened if my dad did pull over. Mexico is not a safe place. If you plan on traveling there, please be careful and always look at your surroundings. Me and my girlfriend were in a city in Texas, off the highway, and we stopped at a tiny gas station to get beer and chips and such. For some reason, when we pulled in, I felt the need to say, I actually think I need to come in with you. That was weird because I usually stay in the car when we go places, or when I get out, I don't feel the need to announce it. When we walked in, everything felt very normal. We were just laughing and joking about how the half-naked Modelo Girl cardboard cutout had a super pixelated face. We start looking at the beer, and I was being indecisive, but I could tell we were both getting really sketched out, so I just grabbed two coconut-flavored margarita-type drinks without thinking about it and rushed to the counter, thinking we needed to get out. There was a growing feeling of being watched. It was like pure malice. I haven't felt this before. I can't really describe it. There was an old Hispanic man leaning on the ice cream cooler right by the counter and watching every customer. Everything felt slow. It's really hard to explain. When I put my stuff on the counter, the man started smiling at us really wide and talking in a very strange manner, like he was trying to be charming or personable, but he just came off as really strange and off. Outside the door, I could see a man in a red jacket, also staring at the doors, just watching and waiting. They were waiting. I cannot explain the overwhelming feeling of dread we had, 
and we didn't talk about it until we were driving out of the parking lot, and the man in the red jacket was still circling the building, watching the car drive off. This city we are in has a reputation for having a lot of human trafficking victims coming in and out, and I honestly think that they were waiting for the perfect victim to take. I honestly think if I hadn't gone in with my girlfriend, she would have been taken, or I would have been taken from the car. I have never had such an intense, looming feeling of doom and paranoia in all my life. It seems very mundane, but it was definitely a very close call, and we kept discussing it the rest of the night. And how lucky we were that we went in together and got out as quick as we could. Always remember, everyone, stay alert of your surroundings. And that, dear listeners, brings a close to these true creepy encounters. I'm sorry I'm a story short, but I wanted to make sure it was a fresh story. If you are sleeping, I hope Slumberland is treating you comfortably. If you're awake, I hope you've enjoyed this collection. In the meantime, please take care of yourselves and always be alert of your surroundings. I'll read to you soon. Have yourself a good morning, a good afternoon, or a good evening. Peace, love, and light to you all.
Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold.